message. And we have been working diligently through it. Last week we got one verse done. Woo! Right on. Um, we were in chapter 5, verse number 1. And in that verse 1, in that message that we were doing last week, it was called Moving Forward. And in that message, what we saw was God really kind of preparing the way for the Israelites, okay? Their testimony of what God had done in crossing the Jordan. It was a miraculous thing. And what was cool about it was the fact that the testimony kind of went ahead of them and was already impacting the people in that land. But what we saw in that message was we saw really two things. We saw a testimony's external reach, the way that it could go out beyond us. And what we saw with them was because... Understand, because of the miraculous nature of what had taken place and also the validation of the fact that the Israelites, some two million of them are now standing in the promised land at a place called Gilgal with no wet footprints. It was dry ground. Based upon this miraculous event, what happened was the people were impacted. Not only did it impact the people as a whole, but it says that it impacted the kings, it impacted the leadership. They were all fearful of the Hebrew God, and they understood that there was something miraculous taking place. But there was an adverse or a negative reaction to their testimony. And what we talked about last week is many times when we come to the Lord and we go back to our circle of our world, sometimes we can get a negative reaction. Sometimes our friends aren't like, man, you got saved. Praise the Lord. Let's all go to church together. No, my party crowd was like, what? You're going where? Come on, man, go have a drink. And I'm like, no, you know what, dude, God's, God's got a new intention for my life. It wasn't received very well. Some of them were actually fearful of me and didn't want to have anything else. Anybody else relate to that? Yeah, sometimes you've got to cut ties with the old, with the past, because guess what? God's made us a new creature. Then we looked at the testimony's internal power. And in that internal power, what we saw was the fact that there was two aspects of it. There was what's called spiritual protection and then spiritual projection. Spiritual protection, what we saw with the Israelites is God was going ahead of their enemies ahead of them in to deal with the hearts of their enemies, to go ahead and put fear in their hearts, which is what he'd promised to do years before that. Here he's faithfully done so. And what we saw was the fact that because they were willing to honor God, God would fight for them. And what we realized is the fact that for you and I as, body, as, a, as believers, if we'll be faithful to God, guess what he'll do? He'll fight battles for us that we don't even know that we were ever even in. Yep. We didn't even have to deal with it. He just dealt with it for us. Then we looked at the spiritual projection. The projection. And what that was, was the impact of the fear. What happened when those few people felt that fear in Canaan, there was a decision to be made. They had to react to it. Now, we know Rahab and her family. We know how they reacted. They turned to the Lord. But the majority of the people didn't. The majority of people actually rebelled against God. They created fortifications to face off against God. And guess what? It's the same thing today. When the testimony of our life goes out into the world, there's going to be one of two reactions either submission or rebellion. It's one or the other. And unfortunately, based upon the numbers we see in Canaan, it's a majority of people will rebel. And what we find in our culture is a majority of people, guess what? They're going to rebel. So what we're dealing with today is as we close that message out and we go into chapter 5, continuing now, today, check it out. We're going to do something we have not done in almost two years. We're going to cover eight verses in one day. I know. Hold on to your hats. It's going to happen. We're going to do. We're going from verse two all the way to verse nine today. It's, it's uh, this is a, a marker day. Write it down. But what we're going to do in this message today is we're actually going to be looking at how God is um, impacting the people on their behalf, but also what God's requirement is. Because we're at, right at this point in time, fear has hit Canaan. Canaan is now impacted by the testimony. But now what happens is God, before He'll allow them to move forward, He has a prerequisite, something that they, his requirement 
before he'll allow them to move forward. And this message this morning is called Making the Cut. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for the message. Uh, Lord, I have prayed diligently, studied uh, actively. Uh, Lord, I've uh, listened and learned. And uh, Lord, I know you've spoken to me, and I'm asking you now, Lord, that I, uh, you would speak through me. Lord, my desire is not to be heard. Uh, my desire is to get out of the way. I would love to disappear and not even show up. But Lord, if there's a way you can work through me today and I can uh, remove myself, I do pray that uh, Lord, that would be the case, that you would speak directly to our hearts. Lord, I need to receive just like everyone else. Lord, I just pray that you'll help me. Uh, Lord, empower the word. And I pray, God, that you'll speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Joshua chapter 5, verses 2 through 9. It says, At that time the Lord said unto Joshua, Make these sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. And Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of the foreskin. What we'll see is verses 1 and verse 2. What they are is they're kind of a synopsis of what has taken place. We'll find that from verse 4 to verse 7, what we're going to see at that point in time is kind of an explanation of why things are taking place. Verse 4 says this, And this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise all the people that came out of Egypt that were males, and even all the men of war died in the wilderness, by the way, after they came out of Egypt, those that died in the wilderness. Now all the people that came out were circumcised, but all the people that were born in the wilderness, by the way, as they came forth out of Egypt, them they had not circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people that were men of war, which came out of Egypt, were consumed, they died, because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord. Remember when they were given the opportunity to go into the, into the promised land, they rebelled. Unto whom the Lord swear, he would not show them the land which the Lord swear unto their fathers that he would give us a land that floweth with milk and honey. Verse 7, and their children whom he raised up in their stead, them Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not circumcised them by the way. Verses 8 and 9 tell us the results here. And it came to pass when they had done circumcising all the people that they abode in their places in the camp till they were whole. And the Lord said unto Joshua this day, have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you, wherefore the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day. So this is a pivotal moment for the children of Israel. This is a big time. What we know here is the fact that God has prepared them to possess the promised land. They have been faithful to do all that God's asked them to do. Once they came out of the promised land, they have been diligent to follow through. But there's this one last act of obedience that they must perform Joshua is to make sure that all of those that are uncircumcised are to be circumcised before they go any further. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at four different dynamics or components of this act of obedience. We're going to look at the timing of this circumcision. And if you don't know what a circumcision is, look up after service. I'm not going to describe it to you or give you any details or pictures. We're going to leave that all for you to find out later. If you're a child, ask your parents. Um, the timing of this circumcision, we're going to look at the tools of the circumcision. We're going to look at the subjects of the circumcision. And last, we're going to look at the results of the circumcision. So let's look at the timing first. So it says, At that time uh, the Lord said unto Joshua, Make these sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. So what do we know about that time? So we know at that time this is what's taken place up to this point. The Israelites have fulfilled their journey coming out of the wilderness. They have crossed over the Jordan. We know at this point in time all of the Israelites, minus those from the two and a half tribes, which are the women and children and their, uh, their stuff, that's all on that side, but everyone else has come over. So upwards around 2 million people have gathered here in Gilgal. This is a mass of people. I mean, I, I can't imagine what 2 million people looks like. Uh, I mean, think about a stadium. Panther Stadium holds like 70,000 people. 
Think about two million people gathered together in one place. The Stone Memorial has at this point in time been established for the, the 12 that represent the, the 12 tribes, but it's a memorial unto God's power. That's now sitting there. The miraculous testimony of God's power has gone out into the hearts of the people. So the land has been impacted. The people are fearful. They are shaking in their boots or their sandals uh, of the coming of the Lord. And the promised land has God has done all that he said he would do in preparing it for them. Remember back in Deuteronomy 27, 2 and 3 said this, And it shall be on the day when ye shall pass over Jordan unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, he's promised he was going to give it to him, that thou shalt set thee up great stones and plaster them with plaster, and thou shalt write upon them all the words of this law when thou art passed over, which he had done exactly what he said, that thou mayest go in unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, which he has done, a land that floweth with milk and honey, as the Lord thy God of thy fathers hath promised thee. So God has fulfilled his promise. He has given them the promised land. Everything is prepared. The land is prepared for them. Everything is ready. Only they're not ready. They're not prepared. So this is where it comes down to. There was an aspect or a detail from their past that they had overlooked. Something that was a requirement of God that they had not followed through with. Their forefather Abraham had made a covenant with God. And we go back to Genesis 17, verses 9 through 11. This is where we hear it. It said, And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore, thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. This is my covenant, which ye shall keep. Remember, keep it. Between me and you and thy seed after thee, every man child among you shall be circumcised, and ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you, a promise of circumcision unto God. That was incomplete. So here's the requirement of the Lord that they have overlooked. And we see this physical circumcision. Understand, it is a picture, okay? It is a picture of something in the New Testament something that's true for us. The picture of the physical circumcision is a picture of spiritual circumcision that takes place in the life of a believer. Understand, we underwent this at the moment of salvation. When we go to Colossians chapter number 2, we're going to see an explanation of it. Colossians 2, 11 through 13. In whom also ye are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, it says, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Here's a new circumcision, not a physical one, but a spiritual one. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. And understand, when the Spirit of God quickens us, quickens our mortal souls, and it brings us to life from death to life spiritually, what is happening in that moment is God is separating us from our body. Our body has a sin debt that it must pay. It has a requirement because of what it is. It is our flesh. And we consider the timing of this event. We get saved. The moment we get saved, man, that circumcision takes place right there as a child of God. Now, as we've discussed in the past, the Old Testament and the New Testament, one is a picture book and the other one is a principle book. So the Old Testament is a picture book. You'll see physical examples of things that God wants you to understand through story, through really, that really happened. This just shows you how incredible God is. God uses actual events with actual people through real history to paint pictures for us in the future so we can understand that real event and go, oh my goodness, that's a picture of this? Are you kidding me? Because understand, listen, this picture that's taking place that we just saw in, 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 in the circumcision understand is also verified and shown to us in other ways as well. One of the things I want to show to you is this way. Recognize the fact that 
Christ who is our Savior, right? The Lord saved us. He changed our lives. He's accomplished a great work in our life. And what's happening now is the fact that He wants us to understand that He's trying to teach us a deeper principle. He's trying to show us something else. What the Bible calls us in the New Testament, it calls us the temple, okay? The temple of God. We all know that, right? It says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, the dwelling place of God. Listen, know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you, Okay? To dwell in is to tabernacle. When the the dwelling place was in the wilderness, what did they call it? The tabernacle. Then when it was made permanent by Solomon, what did they call it? The temple. So it is a temple. It is the, it was the, the location is the place of the presence of God where he would spend his time. Recognize this. That temple had three parts. It had an outer court. It had a, 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 a holy place and the holy of holies. The first two are sanctified. The third one, the outer court, it's not sanctified. That's where sacrifices took place. That's where the washing took place. That was the unsanctified part. So there's three parts. Guess what? You and I, we have three parts, right? Body, soul, spirit. Two are sanctified. One is not, right? There is a division that takes place. Understand, God's showing us something. Our soul and our spirit are sanctified. They're set apart by God. What we see here is this Israelite circumcision. It is a picture. God's showing and say, look, you cannot go forward for me until you get rid of the flesh because that's your problem. It's the debt that you have to your flesh. And so what we see here is the severing of the flesh is a way to move forward because until they're cut that tie, they're bound. And until we cut the tie to the world, guess what? We're bound. We have a sin debt. Egypt is a picture of sin in Scripture. Notice when you go into the Bible, it always says, go down to Egypt, go down to Egypt, go down to Egypt. There's not one time in Scripture where you ever go up to Egypt. It's always a picture of sin. It is a picture of bondage. The Israelites were brought out of bondage by a deliverer, Moses, who was a picture of Jesus Christ. And what did he do? He brought them out so that he could bring them in. That's the whole thing. God didn't save us just to save us and have us exist in this world and stay in the wilderness. No, the wilderness is where we get tested and tried. And what do we do in the wilderness? We refine ourselves. We learn how to give ourselves to God. We become obedient to him. And we become obedient to him. Guess what? Then we move forward into the promised land. That's the whole thing. All of these things are pictures. So we look in the Old Testament, it's screaming to us of who it is we're supposed to be. So first we see the timing. Now let's look at the tools of the circumcision. Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of the foreskin. So we saw in verse 2 that God instructed them to make knives, and obviously he did make his knives. But what's interesting, what's unique about these knives is what they represent. And this is cool. So we know we have an Old Testament picture in the knife. Well, let's go to the New Testament and find what it represents. Here we go. So in the New Testament, we find the spiritual equivalent of the sharp knives. Now, notice this, the words of God, okay? We're going to look for something sharp in the Bible. You're going to look for something that's sharp, something that cuts in the Bible. You're going to find it's going to show up in Revelations 1.16. And he had it in his right hand, seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Revelations 19.15 says, And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. So we see a sharp sword, a sharp knife, which is the word of God. Then we understand, what does God say about the word of God in John 1.14? What does it tell us about the word? Listen, 
And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ is a picture of the Word. Do we see that? Yes. Simple, straightforward. Ephesians 6, 17, what does it teach us? And it says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, and here's the definition, which is the Word of God. He says, it is the Word, the Word, the Word, the Word. You wonder what that sharp knife is? It's the Word of God, man. You want to be circumcised from this world? The Word of God is what does the work in us. Hebrews 4.12, what does it say? And the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. He says, look, if God decided to, He could cut your soul and spirit apart. He could split them apart if He chose to. But listen to this. And of the joints and marrow. He'll separate the joints and the marrow, the body. Right? What he's telling us is, guess what? These sharp knives, man, the word of God can spiritually circumcise us and do what, the, what we cannot do in our flesh. Because I don't care how hard you try to cut from this world on your own, you cannot do it. It will always be attached to you. But the word of God, man, through faith in Christ can make a circumcision that nothing else can. Romans 10, 17 says this. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God uses his word through his spirit to allow us to be circumcised from our flesh. Pointing us to the spiritual circumcision that we see here. Their physical circumcision points to our spiritual circumcision in Christ. So we see the timing of the circumcision. We see the tools of the circumcision. Now let's look at the, the subjects of the circumcision. Now, we know from the explanation in verses 4 and 5 that all the male children who came out of Egypt, they were all circumcised. We know this, okay? Verse 4 and 5. And this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise all the people that came out of Egypt that were males, even all the men of war, died in the wilderness, by the way, after they came out of Egypt. Now, all the people that came out, who came out of Egypt, were circumcised. But all the people that were born in the wilderness, by the way, as they came forth out of Egypt, them, they had not circumcised, okay? So, if you figure out kind of the math on this, those that were in the wilderness, guess what? They were, they're not circumcised. But we also learn in verses four, 4 through 6 that those that were 20 and older, okay? The Bible lists them as the men of war. Now, how do we know what defines the men of war? We go to Exodus 38, 26, and what does it tell you? Any man 20 years old and older, that's the men of war. So we know that out of the crowd that came out of Egypt, those that were 20 years old and older, all of them died in the wilderness, except for Joshua and Caleb, the only two that were faithful. They were obedient to God. So those that are 60 plus, there's only two guys, 60 plus, Joshua and Caleb. Everybody else is younger. Verse 6 is this, For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness, till all the people that were men of war, which came out of Egypt, were consumed, dead, because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord, unto whom the Lord swear that he should not show them the land, which the Lord swear unto his fathers, that he would give us a land that floweth milk and honey. So those young, young men, those that were under 20 years old when they left, they're still alive. Okay? If you were 19 years old when this took place and they went into the wilderness, those were not men of war. Those men that were circumcised, they're still alive. So the age from 40 to 59 years old, you've got a contingent of those people that are still alive. But then those that are 39 and younger, none of them are circumcised. Okay, Not one of them. Verse 7 says this, And their children... Whom he raised up in their stead, them Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not circumcised them by the way. So the estimate is this could be upwards of three quarters of a million men and boys in this crowd. A big chunk of folks. And we think about this. 
And the reason why that's a problem is because go back to the covenant. What did God say in Genesis 17, 9 through 11? And God said unto Abraham, thou shalt keep my covenant. He says, I'd like, he doesn't say I'd like for you to. He says, thou shalt, thou will do it. Wherefore, thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. That's who we're talking about. This is my covenant, which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. There's no way to figure it. This is, there's no, there's no workaround. This is, this is happening. And ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. Now, these men and boys, they're not going to circumcise themselves, would you? He <laughs> would be like, okay, give me a pocket knife, let's get to work. No, man. You'd be like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I, I don't remember mine, but man, I'm glad I don't, man. We don't want to be a part of it, right? We're like, oh my goodness. Sorry that came out, I apologize. Just erase that from your minds, please. <laughs> but what we know is their disobedience of their fathers wasn't just in listening to God, it was even in keeping the covenant of circumcision. They didn't even do that. They went, thing, went about things in their own way. But understand, even though it was not their fault, they're still being held accountable. Because prior to their circumcision, guess what? They're still in disobedience. No matter how obedient they may be in doing all the right things, right? After coming out of the wilderness, they have been faithful to do all that God's asked them. But even though they've done all the right things, because of this one area, they're not fulfilling God's requirement. And see, this is the key. We think about people today who believe, man, I love God. I go to church. I pay my tithes. I pray. I read my Bible. I do all these things. They're religiously active. And I don't mean they're religiously active like they don't have their hearts not in it. I'm talking about people that are committed People that are waking up and going to a Catholic church who are waking up early, who are praying, who are on their knees, who are crying, who are going to service after service after service after service, doing deed after deed after deed after deed. A Mormon that you meet who is the kindest, sweetest, most amazing person you've ever met in your life. Moral. Oh, my goodness. The most moral person you've probably ever met. But there's a problem. There's a requirement that God has that they are not willing to fulfill. You see, the Lord has a commitment for us. My, Christine and I lived next door to a Mormon couple when we were struggling and we lived in High Point, North Carolina. Our son had just been born and we were dirt poor. We were so poor at that point in time, we needed to use the phone. I had to jump the fence of the pool during the wintertime and use the pay phone and had to call someone collect because I didn't have the money to have a phone. It was rough, but God has been faithful. And I'm telling you what, as we have lived our lives and look back on all the things that we've been through, God was strengthening us and making us who it is we needed to be so we could learn how to depend upon him. Because you know what, as we were talking about earlier with, uh, with Jeff and I, we were talking about so many times adversity. Adversity is the very thing that people need to realize that they need God. Because when everything's going great, people have a tendency to forget they need him. But what we find here is this, even though people are completely sincere, they can be sincerely wrong, without a doubt. Because understand, God's requirement of salvation is not our works, right? We're all attached to a penalty attached to our flesh. And until we receive the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no circumcision. So no matter how many good works you do, you drag that nasty, filthy body with you. And guess what? That body, when it dies, what do we do? We leave it behind. We don't take it with us, do we? If we get raptured out of here, what's God going to do? He's going to convert it into a glorified body. That body, that body's sanctified. That body's holy. This one, this old junk of flesh, no way, man. This thing needs to rot in the ground. Because it is nothing but a problem. What is Romans 3.10? It says, there is none righteous, 
No, not one. Just in case you were like, well, my grandma was really awesome. No, God's like, just say, ah, not your grandma, not even her. No, not one. I don't care who you try to find. Right? So that's a reality of who we understand. Salvation is through Christ and Christ alone, not through our works. Titus 3, 5 says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. It is the spirit of God working through the word of God that brings us to salvation. It circumcises us from our flesh and cuts us from the debt that needs to be paid. But understand, until we do that, if we're not spiritually separated and sanctified from our flesh, then our Savior cannot bear our sin. It's stuck to us. Until you cut that tie through faith in him, you pay the price yourself. First Peter 2.24 says this, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins, dead to sins because we've been separated from it, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. Notice it says should live unto righteousness. It doesn't say that you will live unto righteousness. Because as long as you're stuck in this stupid body, guess what? It wants to sin. It wants to do wrong. It wants to lie. It wants to cheat. It wants to look at things it should not look at. It wants to listen to things it does not want to, that we, don't, we shouldn't listen to. So this flesh is constantly, that's why the Bible talks about the struggle between the flesh and the spirit, right? We look at that in Galatians 5, 17. It says the Bible says they're contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would, the things God created you to do because of the struggle between the flesh. And what happens here, we understand that we develop or, or learn how to break this tie, the draw that the flesh has on us, not through dependence upon ourselves, but it's our dependence upon the Lord. I don't battle my flesh through focusing my attention on overcoming my flesh. We overcome our flesh by surrendering our heart to God. Amen. And we let him deal with our flesh. We cannot do it on our own. The problem with people that are trying to do it on their own through their good works is the fact that the word of God has never truly pierced their hearts. They are spiritually uncircumcised, no matter how religious they may believe they may be. And believing they can somehow appease God's requirements by being good people or 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 doing all the right things is a joke because guess what? As we've told you before, partial obedience is still disobedience. Like I can't 99%, you know, stuff like this, if I say, I trust you and you say, Hey, Dave, you trust me? I'm like, yeah, man, 99%. (laughs) You don't walk away going, man, Dave, trust me. You're like, man, you don't like, you don't trust me. Just takes 1%. Right? So I'm either obedient or I'm not. If I tell my child to go clean the room and they clean the whole room, but there's one corner, that's just a huge pile of garbage. And I walk in the room, I go, well done. You did it. No? Well, what about that? Well, I just thought I'd leave that part off because it didn't fit what I wanted. Understand, people in this world are trying to get God to fashion to what it is they want salvation to be. But understand, it is always going to be his requirement. That circumcision must take place. Otherwise, we're going to be bound to the sin that it is attached to. And we see here that, thank God, the people are obedient. They listen. They follow God. They do exactly what he asked them. Verse 3 told us this in that synopsis. Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of the foreskin. Uncomfortable moment here. I'm going to give you a little bit of insight of what I believe the hill of the foreskins is. It's kind of gross. This is where they did the circumcisions and they took that flesh and they piled it up. That's TMI. You may not want to ever hear that or ever think about that, but just in case someone was wondering what it was, that's the best notion that we have of what it is. 
So we have, we've seen the timing of the circumcision. We've seen the tools of the circumcision. We've seen the subject of the circumcision. Now let's look at the results of the circumcision. Verse 8 says this, And it came to pass when they had done circumcising all the people that they abode in their places in the camp till they were whole. Okay? Obviously he's talking about the healing process here. But I want you to pay attention to the wording that he uses. Okay? And he says, They were whole. Okay? They were whole. And if think about ourselves, our life, prior to salvation. And one thing we would probably say is that we don't feel whole. Because guess what? Everyone is born with a God-shaped void. We're all born with this void that God must fill. And no matter what we put in there, money, relationships, house, car, reputation, whatever it is, all that does is stretch the hole. And make it bigger and bigger. Because the more things we put in there that don't fill the hole, the more desperate we become. Because if it wasn't money, it must be a relationship. Well, once it's not a relationship, it's not money, it must be a house. And if it's not the house, then it must be the car. Then it must be reputation. Then it must be... And then what happens, we become more desperate. It can be anything but God. And there's people in the world right now that are trying all that they can to seek after the world. And we have a culture right now that's trying to feed people that happiness is in things. That it's in self-fulfillment. And what does that do? It makes people hollow and broken and desperate. What are the suicide levels like right now? They're through the roof. Young people, 21, 22, 23 years old, killing themselves because they believe they've gotten everything they could possibly want. And they feel more and more empty than they ever have because they've been told it certainly isn't God. It certainly isn't God. And a culture turns away from God. Guess what? The people become destroyed by it. We've got to understand that there's, a, there's a, a battle taking place in our world today. And there are people that feel so empty yes. and feel so broken. Why? Because there's a, there's a void in them. They don't feel the peace of God. They don't understand what that is. They don't have a sense of purpose. Why are they here? They don't experience joy. They seek happiness, which is what happens to you, happenstance. Good day, bad day. Good day, bad day. Good day, bad day. That's exhausting, right? Yes. Constantly seeking happiness. Instead of experiencing joy where we can walk through a valley and be joyful, praise God. Amen. That's that peace of God that passes all understanding, right? That will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's what it is. That's that peace. That sense of being overwhelmed. Understand, that's what people are struggling with. And what happens, man, we look at our life now after receiving Christ. And we could go back and talk about that moment. And we could say, you know what? I had this void. I had this hole in my heart. And suddenly it was, I was made Whole. And suddenly the void that had been there all my life was, was filled. Amen. Not in a way that I ever thought it would have been. Yes. Just because someone cared enough to tell me something that I didn't know. Praise the Lord, man. That's what this world needs. What did Jesus say to the leper in, John's, in Luke 17, 19? And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Whole. And after experiencing salvation, you get this overwhelming peace of God, this sense of belonging, having an eternal purpose, understanding that you're a child of God, having a joy that's inside of your heart that you can't even explain that actually spreads out to the people around you. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's the joy of God that comes out of us. And it's, a, it's evident when it does, it draws people to Him. 
the knowledge of knowing that we're a child of God. Praise the Lord to be finally whole. Right? That's what God intends for us. But then it gets even better. (laughs) Check this out. Verse 9. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt. Remember what Egypt is? A picture of sin. That's a picture of the world from off of you. I have rolled the reproach of the world off of you. Wherefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day. So though their obedience, understand, through their obedience to God and honoring the covenant of conviction, of, of conviction, of circumcision, the reproach of Egypt rolled off of them. That means that all this time, They've been carrying the reproach of Egypt. Now they are finally acceptable unto God. They're worthy to be used of him so they can go forward into Canaan. Understand, he has them stopped here for a purpose. And it's understand. It's it's the fact that they are carrying the reproach, not their own reproach even. It's the reproach of their family, their parents. The reproach of their ancestors is on them. And it's not until they honor the Lord in their own life that they break the pattern of disobedience and they are set free from the reproach, set free from their past. That's true for us. You have a reproach, a life that you lived before. God cuts it away, man. He no longer holds you responsible for your past. He says he forgets it no more. What did Paul say? He said, this one thing I do, forgetting those things behind, I press towards the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I can't change my past. But thankfully, God cut it away from me. And he says, he's not going to look back at it. Will the devil remember your past? Oh, yeah. Will he beat you senseless with it? Oh, yeah. He will use it as a bludgeon and pound you every single day that you are willing to listen. That's why the Bible says, don't give place to the devil. Because you know what? That impact only has impact if you allow it to. If you go, you know, no, 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 no. Hey, I hear you. I hear you. Guess what? Child of God. Ah, nope, child of God. Walk water off a duck's back, brother. Child of God. Born again, saved, redeemed by the power of God. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, right? That's the answer. So he says, look, he's rolled the reproach off of them. And did you know it's not until we stop living in disobedience to God that we can get the reproach off of us? That's a reality. That we can experience the freedom that God intends for us to have in this life. And understand, that reproach, that disobedience can be in areas of like service, right? There could be something God's given you as a talent, a gift, an ability. And you're using it for yourself instead of using it for God. Guess what? That's disobedience. He gave it to you for a purpose. It could be in holiness where you say, you know what? I know I should be living a certain way, but you know what? We make allowances for sin. We make it okay. Remember, partial obedience. Still disobedience. No matter how much good we're doing... It's those areas of disobedience that are our problem. So you understand what happens here is the fact that the Israelites before them, they chose not to let go of their reproach, their ancestors. When you and I choose to stay in our sin or stay in our disobedience, we choose to keep our reproach. We hold it upon us because recognize the fact that the first generation, they were set free. They came out of Egypt, right? They came out from that sinful background and they got into the wilderness but they just couldn't let go they just couldn't let go they kept longingly looking back into Egypt they just couldn't let it go listen to what they said this is in Numbers 11 11 verses 5 and 6 
This is about a year after coming out of Egypt, okay? Listen to this. God has provided everything that they have asked for. He's given them everything they could possibly need. He's given them literally manna. God created food from heaven that they could come out every day and collect it so they would never be hungry. God's provided everything. Numbers 11, verse 5 and 6. We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt. Oh, man. Freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. Man, oh, man, it was so good. But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. All we have is God's provision. And you know what? It's not enough. You know what? It always tastes the same. Because guess what it was designed to do? Sustain them. It was to keep them alive in the wilderness so they would learn the lessons they were supposed to learn because God didn't want them to get satisfied in the wilderness. No, that wasn't the purpose. The purpose of the wilderness was to change them. It was to get the Egypt out of them, not to get them out of Egypt. So what happens? He gives them the manna to keep them alive while they're there. And what happens? They go back and what do they do after that? They start frying it and packing it, making it into cheeseburgers and everything. They reform it everything they can. They whip it. I mean, the Bible talks about that. They, they, they'll shape it. They do, they do all these different things because what are they trying to do? They're trying to change the taste. Can we make manna satisfying? Can we make it satisfying? Can we make it satisfying? No, because it was designed to sustain them. If it satisfied, they would have stayed where they were. God said, I'm going to make it so it just sustains you. So you go to the land flowing with milk and honey, the place where you can be sustained with what you really need. I'm going to satisfy you there. Don't get happy here in the wilderness. Go there. That's the point. Their problem was they wanted to be happy there. They would not trust God's plan. They thought they knew better and they would not let go. How many of us are, tr- are guilty of that very thing? Right? We know what God has for us, yet we're so, we're not willing to listen. We're not willing to trust God, so we stick to our own beliefs. We do what we want to do. Understand, because they chose to keep their approach, they died in the wilderness. Almost every single one of them. 603,550 men over the age of 20 years old left Egypt. Two crossed the border. Most every one of them died because they would not let go. The stranglehold they had on Egypt just had a hold on them. And today, in our world today, we have Christians who have been set free. They are born again. They are children of God. But they can't take their eyes off the world. They can't take their eyes off the world. They're constantly longing after the world. Instead of submitting themselves to God. See, God has this amazing life for them. The abundant life the Bible talks about. It's walking in fellowship with God and in obedience with God and feeling and experiencing his blessings. And what happens is God intends this amazing life for people. But because they won't let go of the world, they never experience it. They get stuck in the wilderness and that's where they stay. And what will happen is when they finally leave this world. And praise God, they're saved. They'll go to heaven. But when they get there. They'll look back at the one shot God gave them on this planet. One shot. We're one here, one, only here one time. The beginning uh, number on your gravestone and the ending, those are up to God. That one in the middle, the dash, that's up to you. What you do with your dash, this is your chance to bring glory and honor to God for what he did for you. If he saved your soul, he has done more than you ever deserve, more than I ever deserve. That's for sure. God's been so good. He came and literally lived a perfect life, suffered and sacrificed his own life, not for his sins, but for ours because he cared for us, never thinking of himself, always putting himself secondarily so that we could be saved. 
And instead of living a life that glorifies God, what we do is we live a life that is a pursuit of personal happiness and fulfillment of our flesh. And when we stand with the stand before the Lord one day, we will be filled with regret, broken hearted, because he says, he's going to say, I gave you one shot on earth. What'd you do with it? Oh, Lord, I had a really nice car. Should have seen my house. Man, I had quite a life. Ton of friends. You wouldn't believe how many followers I had on Facebook. It's unbelievable. You know, all the things that we think are important here, they don't mean anything in heaven. Amen. Amen. And all the things that are important up there, we discount on earth. Boy, when we get there, we're going to be really sorry. That's the way we saw things. Understand, I'm not here to beat you up. I'm just trying to help us to reevaluate our lives. Y'all are like, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not trying to beat you up. I just want us to reevaluate and sort of see ourselves the way we need to. Because listen, if we've got a reproach upon our lives, we can cut it off. We can separate it through the word of God, man. Those Egyptians, every single one, or those Israelites, every single one of them could let go of Egypt and walk straight into the promised land, but they would not let go. And understand, it took their children to have to replace them. And you and I live a life of holiness, not because it's for us. We do it for him. 1 Corinthians 6, 20 says this, for you are bought with a price. Therefore, because you're bought with that price, because Jesus gave his life as the payment of, payment of sin, therefore glorify, your, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And the only way this is done is by allowing the word of God to do its work in us as it draws us to holiness. And what does it do? It changes our perspective and helps us to see sin the way God sees sin. If we saw sin through the eyes of the Lord, we would never sin. The problem is we see it through our flesh. And it lies to us and tells us that it's okay. It's not okay. Partial obedience is still disobedient. 2 Corinthians 7 one says this, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness and the fear of God. Man, we live a life of holiness not through our strength, but through our surrender to his strength. Cast your care upon me, for I care it for you. Right? God will get us through. We don't do it for our sakes. We do it for his because we love him. Guys, remember, he left glory to be tortured to death for us. And what we have to understand is the fact that it's our reasonable service. As Romans 12 once says, it's our reasonable service to give our lives for him, a living Sacrifice. So the question we have to ask ourselves when we consider our lives is as we look into the way we're living, do we see ourselves entangled with the world? Or do we see ourselves actively being circumcised as we're making the cut? We all need to do it at some level. Sooner the better. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today, for the gift of your word, for the incredible intricacies of the scripture. Thank you for the Old Testament, for the New Testament, Lord, for the spirit of God that gives us discernment and understanding. Thank you for guiding us through the word today. And I do pray, Father, that there was understanding amongst us that, Lord, we did see and hear what it is you wanted us to hear. I pray that God you'll continue to use your word to speak to us. Lord, that we might be surrendered to the Spirit of God, that, Lord, you might help us to become the very men and women of God that you created us to be. Lord, our life is to bring honor and glory to your name. So many of us fall so very short. Lord, I can only speak for myself, and I know I've fallen short my entire life. Lord, I do pray that you help us. Help us today. 
take a step in the right direction that we might fully circumcise ourselves in this world. Lord, and we do it through the word of God, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Help us make the cut from this place. Lord, we thank you so much for what you're doing and what you have done. With our heads bowed, with our eyes still closed, understand if you're here today and you said, look, you know what? I don't know where I stand with God. Listen, 20 years ago, August 11th, 2001, was the night I got saved. I had never been in church my entire life. I was raised in a completely secular home. Never heard the gospel before. 34 years old. But God sent someone into my life that cared enough to be willing to share the truth. And if you're here today, you're online, you're watching this recorded, I don't care what. Understand, God is reaching out to us. He's reaching out to you. That night, someone explained to me the fact that I was a sinner. And because of my sin, I was going to be going to hell because there's a, there's a penalty for my sin. I was still attached to my flesh. And he told me, because Jesus Christ loved me so much, even though I didn't even know who he was, because he loved me so much that he had gone to a cross, that he'd been tortured and horrifically treated and gave his life to pay a debt that I was going to pay. And if I would ask him to, by faith, that he would then literally take the sin debt that I had and he would pay it himself. And as he's calling out to you today, if you've never asked Jesus Christ to bear your sin debt on the cross, if you've never trusted him by faith, understand you have that opportunity today. It's not a magic prayer. It's not a ceremony. It's a matter of the heart. The Bible says, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made into salvation. When you pray, that's your opportunity to humble yourself before the Lord. But understand, it's the faith in your heart that God will use to save your soul. He's done all the work, the same as the Israelites. Everything was prepared. He simply waited on the Israelites to be faithful. He's waiting on you right now to be faithful. If he's calling your heart, all you have to do is respond. Again, it's not a magic prayer. What I'm going to do is I'm going to lead you in prayer. And it will not be the words of this prayer that will save you. It will be the intention of your heart that will save you. So if you will receive, if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, I'm going to lead you in prayer. Again, if you say the prayer but you don't mean it, don't waste your time. If your heart and truly intends to receive Christ and you do it right now, He will save you. He's waiting on you right now. So the heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm going to lead you in prayer. If you want to receive Christ, you repeat after me. In your heart and mind or out loud, it's up to you. Repeat after me. Speaking to the Lord, not to me. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I am so sorry for my sin. I know that I'm guilty and I understand that you love me in spite of myself. I'm asking you right now in the best way I know how to come into my heart, to come into my life, to save my soul and give me a home in heaven. Lord, I trust you as my Savior. I trust you, Lord God, to be my, my Father. Thank you, Lord, for the work you've done in my life. I'm asking you and thanking you all in the same moment. God, you're so good. I will see you in heaven one day. Thank you for the work you've done.